Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie, season one of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit slash The Rookie. Hokor the Hookchest sat in the control room mounted a hundred feet up from the practice field end zone. A dozen small holo tanks lined the big window that looked out onto the field. The holo tanks let him watch any of his players at any time, wherever they were in the ship. The key slept together, as was their custom. They looked like a pile of legs and long bodies. The key section of the ship consisted of four large rooms the communal room, the feeding room, and sleeping rooms for offense and defense, respectively. He visited their communal room at least four or five times a season. It was decorated with multicolored mosses and various slimes he was told were plants. He'd entered the defensive room once, and only once, because the place stank like a combination of rancid meat and animal offal. Key family units slept together. It wasn't sexual. He'd heard stories about the key mating season and had no intention of ever witnessing such a brutal display. He made the offense and defense sleep separately. They had to face off against each other in practice every day, and when they all slept as one big family unit, they were far too civil to each other. He needed violence and aggression on the practice field. It was the only way to prepare the team for the weekly war against the other GFL squads. The Sklorna were deep into their morning worship. There were 15 of the beings on the team, 7 receivers, and 8 defensive backs. Even after ten seasons of coaching, the Sklorno still seemed so bizarre to him. They worshipped strange things like trees, the clouds on certain planets, works of literature, and, strangest of all, quarterbacks and coaches. Three of the veteran receivers were high-ranking members of the Donald Pine Church. Another two, both defensive backs, worshipped Frank Zimmer of the Toe Pirates. Hokor didn't know what the rest worshipped and didn't care as long as it didn't complicate football. He rarely checked up on the Quith Warriors. He saved his spying for the sub-races. Warriors deserved the right to come and go as they pleased. Eleven of his thirteen humans were in bed, sleeping away. Ibrahim Khomeini, the 525-pounder from Vosor 3, was, of course, eating again. Hokor wondered how those heavy G-human worlds maintained any economy at all, considering how much their subjects ate. Between Khomeini and Alexander Michnik, also from Vosor 3, they daily consumed enough food for ten normal G-humans. But while Hokor kept tabs on all of his players, he was really only concerned with one, Quentin Barnes. 
The human rookie was in the virtual practice room, working away on the timing that had given him so much trouble in the first three days of practice. The door to Hokor's control room hissed open. His antenna went up, briefly, long enough to sense the presence of Greedock. He stood, turned, and brushed back his antenna. Don't bother, old friend, Greedock said. Sit down, continue what you were doing. Hokor sat and again turned his attention to Quentin. The human surveyed his holographic players and the holographic team, then dropped back as the line erupted into holographic chaos. He took a strong five-step drop, set up, and rifled the ball downfield. It fell short of the holographic Scarborough. A defender dove to intercept the ball. He's up early for a human, isn't he? Just him and Ibrahim. Greedock looked at the monitor that showed Ibrahim, sitting alone at a table with four heaping trays of food spread out before him. Females be saved. Do these heavy G-humans ever stop eating? I swear his salary is nothing compared to his food bill. If you could locate a 525-pound quith warrior who can bench press a thousand pounds, I'd be happy to trade for him. Greedock watched Quentin run the same play. This time, he threw ahead of Scarborough for an incompletion. Does Bonds do this a lot? He doesn't socialize with the other players, Hokor said. He spends most of his time in the VR room, repeatedly running plays. Greedock said nothing. Quentin lined up again, dropped back, and ran the same play. This time, the ball sailed over the leaping defender and hit the holographic Scarborough in full stride. Nice pass, Greedock said. How long has he been at it? Two hours. How's he doing? Horrible, Hokor said. But he is improving fast. Horrible. I watched him in practice yesterday. He threw 75-yard strikes like they were nothing. Hokor turned to look at his Shamakath. He's never thrown to Skalorno receivers before, and he's not used to passing being a three-dimensional game instead of two-dimensional. Throwing routes is one thing, but he's not ready for the speed of real defensive backs. Then he had better get ready for it. I went through a lot of trouble to obtain him. We had to get him now, Hokor said. One more season, and every team in the GFL would have been after him. I just don't know how long he'll take to develop. Need I remind you that this is your third season? I don't care about development time. I care about winning. I want this team in Tier 1 next season. All the good trade routes require Tier 1 immunity. You know that. Hokor did know that. Trade routes was a nice way of saying smuggling routes. Hokor didn't care for that part of the business at all, but that was the way the league worked. I'm, I'm sure that in two seasons, maybe three, Quinn will be the best player in the league. You don't have two seasons. You wanted Donald Pine? I got you Donald Pine. You wanted Choto the Bright? I got him for you. You found out one of my lieutenants had Tier 3 experience, so Virac the Mean is playing football instead of acting as my bodyguard and enforcer. I spent a fortune on Mumo Killowee. I gave up my drug distribution in Egypt City for him because you said we had to have him. I upgraded this ship because you said it would help us win games. And do you think that was cheap? No, Shamakath. Hokor knew the ship's retrofit had been horribly expensive, but he was a firm believer that if you wanted to play like a Tier 1 team, you had to practice like a Tier 1 team. 
I want Tier 1 and am willing to spend the money to get it. But the time for investing is over. The time for profit is near. You will win the Quit the Radiated Conference. Get us into the Tier 2 tournament and qualify us for Tier 1 next season or someone else will be around to watch Quentin Barnes turn into the best player in the league. Greedock walked out of the control room. Hokor slowly turned back to the holo tank, just in time to see Quentin throw another interception. His petty palps quivered in frustration. The entire team assembled in a landing bay in a big half-circle around Greedock and Hokor. As usual, players mostly grouped with their own species. Quentin stood with Warburg and Yasud. Pine, as Quentin had come to expect, stood with one of the alien races, this time the key lineman. We will now be taking shuttles down to our facility on Iron Earth City, Greedock said. Most of you know the drill. The shuttle will make four runs. Veterans go down in the first two runs, then free agents new to the team, and finally, rookies. After practice, my workers will show you to your apartments, which have already been assigned. All apartments are close to the stadium. The dome is a reasonably safe area, and as Kraken's players, you will usually be awarded respect. However, Ionair City is not a vacation resort, so be careful. You are responsible for your body, and care for any injuries sustained while not on the practice or playing field will be docked from your pay. Especially you, Yasud. Yasud looked as if his best friend had insulted his mother. Me? Why would you say that? Greedock's petty palps twitched once. I've read your record, Yasud. More tavern fight arrests than some of my low-level enforcers. If you insist on causing problems, you should pray that the police put you in jail instead of bringing you back to me. Understand? For once, Yasud said nothing. Simply nodded instead. And as for you, Mumo Killowy, I will be more than happy to send you home in a body bag if you act as you have when you played in the Scalorno Leagues. Shizzle appeared as if from nowhere, swooped over to Mumo Killowy, and provided a quick translation. Mumo Killowy started saying something in his loud, harsh way, but before he managed a couple of syllables, another key lineman reached out with a long arm and flicked him in the vocal tubes. Quentin recognized the flick-er as my Aunt Ickle, the veteran defensive tackle. Mumo Killowy looked offended, as near as Quentin could read key emotion. The rookie lineman fell silent. That is all, Greedock said. The veterans will now board for the first run to Ionath City. Veterans, including Pine, entered the shuttle as the rest of the team dispersed. What was all that about? Quentin asked Yasud. You a troublemaker or something? Yasud shrugged. I've no idea. I have never caused a problem in my life. Where there's smoke, there's fire, Warburg said, looking down at the smaller Yasud. Just don't hang out with him in the city, Quentin. We don't need his influence to lead us astray. Yasud put a hand to his chest. You offend me, sir. I would never think to corrupt a pious member of the church. He walked off, shaking his head in disbelief as if he'd been greatly misjudged.
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. On a remote island in frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Two Sklorno, Denver and Milford, approached. Warburg's demeanor instantly changed from doubt to intimidation, if not outright hostility. Denver's raspers dragged along the floor, actually leaving a thin trail of saliva on the flight deck. Her transparent carapace was so disconcerting. Quinn could actually see blood coursing through her veins, X-ray gray blurred by the clear chitin's X-ray white. Quentin felt a small shiver of disgust ripple down his spine. Warburg stared. What do you want? Perhaps we are worthy to catch, to catch, to catch passes while running at full speed, Denver said. Quentin and Warburg looked at each other in confusion, then back at Denver. What are you talking about, you stupid cricket, Warburg said. His racial slur stopped all conversation. The players remaining on the flight deck turned to watch. Holy Pine said, he said, he said, perhaps we could assist in Holy Quentin's passing. We run full speed. He blesses us with direct passes. Quentin's face turned red while Warburg started laughing. Pine, Quentin thought, how could you embarrass me like this? Can we help? Can we help? Denver asked again. I don't need help, Quentin said, especially not from the likes of you. Denver's raspers rolled up behind the chin plates. She leaned back a bit, her posture changing, but Quentin didn't know what that meant, and he was too furious to care. Oh, Pine really knows how to rub it in, Warburg said. Holy Quentin is angry, Denver said, but we are here to help, to help. It was too much to bear. Quentin turned and stormed away, heading out of the landing bay and back to his room. Help? From a damned unholy Sklorno? As if Quentin were some Bush League quarterback who needed to work on his route passing? Pine. He'd show that jerk. One way or another, he would show him. Chapter 6. Arrival on Ionath. He was glad it was late, because he could be alone in his room and no one would see his sweat, look at his wide eyes, or hear his ragged breathing. The touchback was about to punch out. Just relax, just relax, everything is fine, 
Quentin had often heard that if things were to go wrong with punch drive travel, it would happen either on the punch in or the punch out of the space-time hole. Punching out always made him think of that ages-old purist folk saying, it's not the fall that kills you, it's the landing. Don't panic, breathe, breathe, it's almost here. He felt the shimmer come, felt, not saw, because he couldn't bear to have his eyes open and see the reality wave lightly caress the ship and everything in it. And, once again, nothing happened. His held breath slipped out of his tense body, the tinge of horror clinging to his soul. He'd come to accept the fact that if he wanted his dream of glory and a GFL championship, he'd just have to ignore his fear of flying. He felt the slight tug of the touchback's main engines kicking in, maneuvering the ship into orbit. Quentin moved to his viewport and looked out onto the glowing red sphere that was Ionath, planet of Ionath City, the home of the Ionath Krakens. He'd learned all about Ionath in school. In 2558, during the Third Galactic War, the Sklerno Navy saturation bombed the planet, rendering it a radioactive wasteland completely devoid of all life. That bombing was proof, the holy men liked to say, of the Sklorno's satanic nature. It also proved that the Prawat race, who had inhabited the planet, were also satanic and suffered the wrath of the High One for their evil ways. Quentin had only been nine when he noticed a pattern. Just about everything bad that happened to other races or cultures was proof of satanic tendencies. The only people who didn't suffer satanic-related incidents were, coincidentally, the people of the purest nation. But despite the bombing, or perhaps despite Satan, Ionath had not remained devoid of life. In 2573, the Quith shocked the galaxy by establishing a permanent colony on the planet. In the 110 Earth years that followed, the colony grew to a population of 500 million Quith. In addition, the Quith introduced flora and fauna that not only ignored radiation, but often used it in place of sunlight to capture energy. In just over a century, the Quith transformed Ionath from a lifeless orb into a flourishing, growing, vibrant planet. The holy men cited this as proof of the Quith's satanic nature, for only a being from hell could live on hell itself. While the Quith flourished on Ionath, the radiation hadn't just gone away, and other sentient races could not survive on the planet's surface. The Quith wanted commerce with other species, so Ionath like the other irradiated planets of Witok and Chikchik, had several domed cities free of radiation. The domed areas acted as a downtown, a central hub of the non-protected. Ionath City boasted the largest rad-free dome on the planet. About 110,000 sentients lived inside the four-mile diameter dome, while another 4.1 million quith lived outside. The football stadium, of course, sat inside the dome. Ionath Stadium was also known as the Big Eye. Quentin had dreamed of playing in such a place. Seating capacity, 185,000. An open-air stadium, but since it existed under the city dome, the weather never changed. It was always 85 degrees Fahrenheit, the galaxy-accepted standard for multi-race environments. 85 seemed too hot to most humans, a bit cool for the key, borderline cold for the Sklorno and Kretorakians, and ideal for Quith. In the past, when the Krakens were a running team, rumor had it that for critical games, the temperature system of Ionath City Dome would often malfunction, 
dropping the temp to 75 degrees or below, a level more suited to human running backs. His game was improving, but he'd been less than impressive during his four days with the team. He'd never even considered that he'd have such a hard time adjusting. They had two more days of practice, then the season opener against the Wu Wallcrawlers. And the second of those two days was a non-contact practice, a pregame run-through. That meant he really only had one more day to convince Hokor that he was ready to play Tier 2 ball. But was he ready? Pine made everything look so easy, so smooth, and that only magnified Quentin's constant struggles. But if Pine could do it, Quentin could do it. Mind games from Hokor. That's what all this crap was. Learn every opposing player, their stats, their history, run laps. A bunch of busy work designed to show Quentin who was the boss. Well, Quentin had broken Coach Graber, and Hokor would be no different. Yet, in the back of his mind, Quentin wondered if Hokor was different from Coach Graber. Hokor acted like he'd be perfectly willing to put Quentin on the next shuttle back to the purest nation. Was that just an act? Quentin wasn't sure, and that gave him an uneasy feeling he'd never experienced before. He started stretching. Today's practice would be very important, and he wanted to be ready. Quentin hadn't calmed down much by the time the shuttle, loaded up with rookies, eased out of the landing bay and into space. It didn't help that Denver and Milford, the perpetrators of Pine's little practical joke, sat only a few feet away. At least this time, they kept their distance. The wasted, red landscape of Ionath filled the front view screens. Plants colored orange, red, and yellow seemed to flourish, but there was no plant large enough to hide the planet's war scars. Just over an Earth century had passed since the Sklorno's 25,000 megaton bombs exterminated all life on the planet. The ten-mile-wide bomb craters remained clearly visible. Ionath City, in fact, was built inside one of those craters. The clear dome gave off brilliant reflections from Ionath's sun. The sprawling city looked like a reddish egg, sunny side up, with the dome being the yolk. As the shuttle approached the city, Quentin could see how Ionath Stadium got its nickname. The round stadium sat right under the dome's center, and from this far up looked like an iris to the dome's cornea. The Big Eye. His new home, at least for this season. Circular streets surrounded the dome in ever-widening bands, like flash-frozen ripples from a pebble dropped into a pond. Straight streets also radiated outward from the dome. Or, more accurately, Quentin noticed, all streets led into the city center, straight to the stadium. I hear they really know how to party in Ionet City, Yasud said, a wide smile on his face. I can't wait to get out on the town. Isn't it a bit radioactive out there? Yasud rolled his eyes. Come on, Hick. I'm not going into the outer city. I'm talking about nightlife under the dome. There's hundreds of bars and restaurants. And women. Lots of women. Yasud cast a glance back at the starting Sklorno receivers. Human women, he said giving Quentin a friendly elbow. Unless you're committed to your harem over there. Quentin's face turned red again, a feeling to which he was unfortunately becoming accustomed. Red was also the predominant color of Ionath City, 
From outside the dome, buildings looked rugged and somewhat organic, more like they'd been grown than built. The tallest ones topped out at around 30 stories. The shuttle dove straight for the dome. The clear surface seemed to open like a living thing, and the shuttle passed through without slowing. Once inside the dome, the buildings looked more like what he'd seen in the purest nation's largest cities. Towering, hexagonal structures with sides of smooth crystal metal. The tallest buildings, 30 to 40 stories high, seemed to surround Ionath Stadium as if they wanted to peer down and watch the games. Only buildings at the dome's center could hit such heights. The buildings farther out grew progressively smaller as the dome sloped down to meet the ground. Quentin saw a huge holo ad running down the side of the city's tallest building. A quarterback dropping back for a path, some words and quiff. At first he thought it was Pine, but the player wore number seven. Yitzhak's number. Is that who I think it is? Yasud nodded. Yes, indeed. What is that an ad for? Yasud stared for a moment, his lips moving slightly, as he sounded out the quith writing. Oh, yep, now I remember. It's an ad for Junkie Gin. Junkie Gin? But it's the biggest ad in the city, and it's Yitzhak. Why not Pine? Because Yitzhak was born here, my friend. The Quith workers just love him, and they're the biggest market in any Quith culture because there's so many of them. He doesn't see much playing time, but he makes more endorsement money than anyone else on the team, Pine included. The shuttle dove toward the roof of a hexagonal, ten-story building attached to the stadium. Closer into the city, Quentin saw holo ads everywhere, on buildings, on sidewalks, floating above the streets. The innumerable ads gave the city a garish, carnival feel. At least half of those ads featured Kraken's players. Even before the shuttle fully touched down, a pack of quith workers swarmed out, ready to unload the players' baggage. Quentin and the other rookies stepped off the shuttle into the heat and high humidity of Ionath City. Hokor was waiting for them, already sitting in his stupid flying cart. Next to the cart stood a quith worker wearing a neat blue jacket. Quentin thought the worker looked rather like a bellboy or a doorman at some of the fancier Pyrrhus Nation hotels. This is Miss All the Efficient, Hokor said to the rookies. He will lead you to the locker room. Suit up and get your worthless asses to the field. Our scrimmage starts in 30 minutes. Remember, in two days at noon, we kick off against the Woo Wall Crawlers. We must win this game. Tomorrow's practice will be a no-contact walkthrough, so today is your last chance to show me what you've got. With that, Hokor's cart lifted up from the roof and flew off the building's edge, gently descending to the field. Quentin saw the veterans and the other players, just specks from this far, already on the field. He knew Pine would be down there, probably planning his next humiliating joke. We'll see, Quentin thought. We'll just see. You have been listening to The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League Series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. You're trying to say I'm putting the air The kids are coming for you Nothing you can
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.